JMV here with Brian Kahn from Floors to Your Home. Fans, if you're shopping for flooring of any kind, you need to check these guys out. You're going to have the most incredible, totally hassle-free shopping experience ever. JMV, we really appreciate you saying that. That's our goal every day, to offer our customers a quick, easy, and hassle-free experience at all of our Floors to Your Home locations. Fans, it works like this. You see the product you like. It's going to be cheaper than anywhere else. That's for sure. Then you can immediately take it home with you or have it installed. That's right. No hassle, no special order. Just see it, buy it, and take it home, or have it installed. Like three rooms of hardwood, laminate, or waterproof flooring starting at just 349 and they have everything in stock. I'm doing my whole house, and believe me, this is the best shopping experience you'll ever have. Three convenient locations, Avon, Noblesville, and Brookville Road. Who gives the quickest, easiest, and most hassle-free buying experience? Floors to your home. That's who. Our automotive group hotline from The Athletic. He is Zach Kiefer. So, it's funny. When I was thinking about that press conference as I was watching today, the one thing that occurred to me, because we constantly get these questions about, well, Chris Ballard's philosophy on what is the build of a great team change, and I think we both agree that it absolutely has to, and I think we know now that it's going to, because I thought that Shane Steichen gave us a little insight on all those players that he thanked for help helping him get to where he is right now as the next head coach of the Colts. So many different elite level, high level skill position players of value. I thought that that alone spoke volumes during that presser. Yeah, I think that's a good takeaway. It definitely struck me as different. He sounded different. He spoke differently than the coaches that I've covered with this team the last couple of years. And I think that's a good thing. I think you're right, JMV. They need they need a new vision. They need a new voice. And I think just from the press conference, and I don't want to overreact, it's just a press conference. Remember, Nick Sirianni absolutely bombed his in Philly. And, and so I don't want to take too much into this. But, look, this is a guy that's going to be uber aggressive on the offensive side of the ball. He's going to be really good situationally because he cares about that. You know, one of the things that jumped out to Jim Irsay was he made a call to Phillip Rivers. And he's like, Phillip, what's this guy like? And Phillip, who's as smart of a football player as, as I think I've covered in all my years, he said, look, this guy is as smart as anybody I've been around. And that says a lot coming from Phillip Rivers. There was one time when, for some reason, the play script was lost during the game. And so Steichen was just calling plays on the fly. So he's one of those offensive minds, and they wanted offense. Make no mistake, they had a lot of defensive guys in the finalist group, but Ursay wanted offense. He's one of those guys where the intelligence and the offensive background really jumped out at them. Um, and I think, I think you know, it's going to be different. I think it's going to sound different. I think it's going to look different. But to your point, now the, the Colts have some talent on offense. Not, let's not overlook Jonathan Taylor and Michael Pittman Jr. But can, can Steichen, like, bring the offensive line from the Eagles over? Because that really is going to help. If you want to do what he wants to do, he said he wants to pass to win, or excuse me, pass to, pass to score and run to win, you're going to have to block. And, and they don't they don't bring in a rookie quarterback. And well, they're supposed to be. That, things happen. They, they were supposed to be like, right, in, in theory, what everybody thought and what we were told, they were supposed to be like what we saw out of the Eagles consistently as a group offensive line-wise this year. Yeah, how'd that go? <laughs> no, that exactly. Go? That's what they're supposed to be. And and they weren't, and and I think that's the concern. I, you know what I, I I'm hear, hoping yeah. that Ballard adjusts some theories because if he doesn't, 
I don't know how this is going to go a lot better than what we have seen, unfortunately. I, I just think I, he's going to have to meet in the middle on some of these offensive philosophies. I think he realizes that. Hopefully he does. No, no, John, forget the middle. Like, go to the other side, right? Like, look at their freaking roster that they had in Philly. Like, look, they put up 35 points a game and, and 1,000 yards in three games in the in the playoffs, right, against really good teams. I mean, theoretically, the playoffs, I get that. San Francisco didn't have an offense, didn't have a quarterback, et cetera. But look, this is a guy that made the most of a lot of talent. Now he doesn't have the same talent here, but in terms of philosophy, you know, Ballard said he's not going to change in terms of they need to win up front. Well, the Eagles are better on the offensive line and they're better on the defensive line. So the Colts are going to have to get there. But Stuyken said a couple of things today, and, and you, you mentioned all the different players that he threw out. Um, this is a players' league. It's always going to be a players' league, and, and Frank Reich would say that as well. But I think Steichen's going to look at this team and say, we need to get more weapons offensively. Um, I fully expect Gus Bradley to be back on defense, and, and Bubba Ventrone was there as well today. I expect he has a good chance to keep that special coordinator, special teams coordinator job. But this is all about the offense moving forward, and, and Steichen's won with a lot of different quarterbacks and different skill sets. But you're right. Forget the middleman. Forget compromise. I would go with the new voice and what he wants. Give this guy the tools that he wants and see what he can do with them. Well, and there was something that Frank Reich never, at least from what you you hear or were told, never really pushed it as far as personnel was concerned. Obviously, yeah, he sold the uh, the bill of goods that was Carson Wentz around here, and that do, didn't do him a great deal of, of service, certainly. But he didn't push it in a lot of ways personnel-wise. Do you think Shane Steichen, in this case, moving forward, will? I think he should. I think he should because he knows what he wants. And and just remember this, when we get to April, this is something I've talked to Jim Mercy about behind the scenes and something he mentioned today. The running quarterback is something they're very, very fascinated by in Indianapolis. The way Jim Mercy sees it is, is having 12 men on the field, right? Because you have a quarterback who can run and also throw, and, and really you, you have an extra blocker because of that. And he mentioned that as a reason the Eagles beat the Colts by one point in November – because of Jalen Hurts' running ability, 12 versus 11. Something like that was what Ursay said. And obviously you look at these quarterbacks in the draft and Stroud and Young and Levis and Richardson, they can all, they can all move. It's not going to be a statue back there like they've had in the past with Phillip Rivers and, say, with Matt Ryan. But, you know, that's where this league is going. And as, as much as any good coach has done recently, especially in the last year, Steichen has made – wonderful progress with Jalen Hurts and really turned him into an elite level thrower on top of the RPO scramble QB draw game that you saw in the Super Bowl where he had three touchdowns on the ground. So look, you're going to go, you're going to go get this guy in the draft, which they're going to go, they're going to go get a quarterback. I guarantee it. And, and, and Ursa even mentioned today, that Alabama kid, we like him. So like he's already throwing the tea leaves out the window and just saying, we're going to go get one. But um, this is, you know, in a lot of ways, this decision is, is not necessarily about 2023 and 2024. This is about 2025 and six and seven or where you're at when that quarterback starts to develop and Steichen ideally grows into the job. So he's 37, man. He's young. He's the second youngest coach this team has ever hired behind Don Shula way back in 1963. So they're banking on these traits and they're banking on the most important decision of this offseason, which is not this one. This is the second most important 
the most important is what they do with that first pick in, in the draft in April. He's Zach Kiefer of The Athletic. He's on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Shane Steichen announced today it's official, the next head coach of the Colts, too. And I want to get back to the longer term. And while I agree it is certainly further down the road, I think the sooner rather than the later signs of this team with its quarterback moving forward, I yeah, this year, 2023, okay, I get you that. It's probably going to be another struggle. I think we can all expect that. But you got to see signs this year at different points and then I think you got to see 2024 is when you should start to see some things because ultimately and we'll see what happens with Houston we'll see if Jacksonville continues down that path and certainly what happens in Nashville but ultimately it's still going to be the AFC South so you've got to see some signs don't you here or there it can't be all about 25 and 26 and that far down the road yeah and and that's a good point and one thing that Ballard mentioned at the end of the season that I wholeheartedly agree with, and I think you will as well, is this team's had a hard time with expectations the last couple of years. They they keep talking about division championships, and, and, and the owner keeps talking about Super Bowls. Like, stop. Like, just stop talking about that stuff. Start by winning the AFC South. Like, start by just beating the freaking Jaguars in Jacksonville for the first time in, like, nine years. So, I think obviously the expectations are going to be completely reset. And, and to get to what you were talking about, I think Steichen's going to learn on the job. He's young. I think the offensive coordinator hire is really important. I would go get a veteran who's maybe even had head coaching experience, who knows what that step up is like. I mean, he's going to call the plays, and, and I think he's got a great track record for that. But again, Nick Sirianni stepped away from calling the plays about November of his first season, gave yeah. it to Steichen. And the Eagles have taken off from there. So there's a lot to deal with on game day when you're the head coach. But in terms of progress, what I want to see is is not just the head coach, but where is the rookie quarterback in week one and where is he at in week 18? If there's tangible progress, that's a win for the Colts, regardless of how many games you eke out in the season. I mentioned this earlier, too. Does it surprise you that he went ahead and said, yeah, I'm going to be one, the one calling the plays? Considering this is what I talked about in the first segment and what you just brought up. Because with Nick Sirianni, he realized that there was a lot on the plate, so he turned it over, and Philly took off offensively after he turned that over. Are you surprised that, at least right now, he's decided to go ahead and take on the reins of the play calling himself, knowing that? Not really. You know, just – and I'm not saying I know Shane Steichen, but but just seeing him in this presser, he he doesn't mess around. He's just going to get right to the point, and I think – the Colts were very sold on him intelligence-wise, offensively. They called him a brilliant mind and all that, and, and they're selling him, right? They're selling him on day one. I get it. But what Ursay needed to know, what he needed to feel was that presence, was that leadership, was that intangible head coaching quality we talk a lot about. That's what they're going to have to figure out because you're not going to know it right now. You're not going to know it really until it gets hard in the next couple of months, and it will. It will be hard in the next couple of months with this rookie quarterback and, it, and a roster that's just not there. So – that's going to be the interesting part. But to answer your question, you know, offensive coaches are doing it differently. Like even Frank Reich, who had called the plays in Indy, obviously got to Carolina and they asked him straight up, are you going to call the plays? And he said, you know, I'm not sure right now. I'm going to think about that. And it depends on his OC hire and that. But, you know, I, there was a lot of conviction in Shane Steichen's voice when he answered that question today. There was no hesitation. He's calling the plays. That's what he told the Colts in the interviews. And then they worked him through a lot of situational things, a lot of situational things. What do you do if this happens, if this happens, if it's this down a distance, if it's this late in the game and you don't have timeouts? 
some of the stuff that Jeff Saturday really struggled with late in the year, that was the stuff that Shane Steichen really excelled at in the interview. Some of the people were just floored listening to this guy because his intelligence was just off the charts. So, look, it's one thing to nail an interview. It's another thing to be a really good head coach. But in terms of that stuff, I feel like he's pretty well prepared for that. Seems like with this group, too, that at some point, if, if you yourself, and clearly Shane Steichen was, prepared for this interview, whether it's you know round one or round two, uh, you know that you have to go to the leadership well a number of times because you, you, you get kind of like in um, you know, when Tom Cruise walked in and you know you had me at hello, right? Um, yeah. I think you have the Colts. You have Jim Ursay, especially. You have him at mentioning leadership. It appears, don't you? And, and and not just that, John. Who did the Colts have to turn down to hire Shane Steichen? You you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's it's no secret in this town that just Saturday, you know, Ursay was smitten by him. And the night he hired him in November, he said, "This is for eight games and hopefully more." And you know, I, I about two weeks ago, I didn't think Jeff Saturday was going to get this job based on the conversations that I had. But I don't think it was easy for Jim Irsay to get to that conclusion. And I know Jeff can be very enticing in a room, like very convincing. And when you give him the floor and he says, if I'm going to hire this guy and this guy and this guy, it's going to be completely different. I'm not sure Chris Ballard sold that, but I believe to a degree Jim Irsay wanted that to be the guy, at least initially. And for Shane Steichen to come in and completely overwhelm them in terms of impressing them, um, you know, that that's important to note here that, you know, Jeff Saturday was passed over and they basically called this the slam dunk. So that does tell you something about how impressed they were with Shane Steichen. It was, when, when did they realize it was a slam dunk? So they talked to 900 different people. When, when did they finally right. get their, their uh, socks blown off or whatever it was by, <laughs> by the greatness of, of this? I'm just kind of curious how that works. I understand where you want to make sure everybody is vetted as roundly as possible. But normally in these circumstances, Zach, you, know, you, you kind of are blown away by what somebody brings to the table in an interview. Do we know when that occurred? Yeah, they're not going to say this. My best guess is, is Friday night before the Eagles left for the Super Bowl. So Jim Mercer flew out there first and met with Shane Steichen for about five hours solo. So Ursay and Steichen in a room for five hours. The following day, the whole contingent interviewed him more formally in Philadelphia. Chris Ballard, Brian Decker, Pete Ward was in the room, the Ursay daughters as well. So, you know, that's the situational stuff. Ursay interview could be whatever Jim Ursay wants, but really after those two days, that's when they had it in their mind that he was the guy. They wanted an offensive guy. And they wanted it to be a guy that could really feel would grow into the head coaching role. So in that vein, that was decided then. Now, the other thing is they had a Super Bowl to wait for, and they didn't want to be a distraction to Shane Steichen. And they also needed to vet him because they learned the hard way with Josh McDaniels. So I think that was the next challenge was keeping it quiet over the next week. And they obviously didn't start telling some other guys that they were out until Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, including Jeff Saturday. That's when it started to become very obvious that it was going to be Steichen. Um, that's the process they went. And to be honest, I can't blame them one bit, as embarrassing as it was the last time. I don't blame them one bit for crossing all the T's and dotting all the I's before they got to this point. Um, but, you know, as of, as of Friday before the Eagles left for the Super Bowl, so nine days before the Super Bowl, they had a pretty good idea that he was going to be the guy. 
Yeah, it, it, you can kind of see it coming. There's no doubt. Zach Kiefer's with us. Before I let you go, so Gus Bradley was there today. You mentioned Bubba Ventron was also present. So obviously these guys are going to be a part of the staff, correct? Yeah, I, I'd be really, really, really surprised if they weren't. They were both there today. There's nothing formal. There's nothing announced yet. But unless something goes haywire, they're both going to be back. Gus Bradley, again, was with Shane Steichen for four years in L.A., Steichen said some really good things about him. And I think that's a really smart move because you can just trust Gus. He knows what he's doing. He's not a wild card. He's not a first-time coordinator. A lot of the players like playing for Gus, too. So that's one less thing Steichen needs on his plate. And to be honest, Steichen needs to fix the offense, man. And there's enough to do there to keep him busy by itself. Yeah, I mean, no doubt about that. Personnel-wise, no doubt. Before I let you go, final thing, because we mentioned Jim Irsay when he kind of blurted out, you know, I like that or we like that Alabama kid, whatever he said. I'm going not going to quote him on this, but he said something in, in that vein. Does, <laughs> does that help or hurt the Colts, considering that at least sitting here right now, you're probably going to have to trade up to get him? Is that is that something where – because we've been talking about basically for the better part of five or so months how, you know, Jim Mercer probably should – you know, chill on and not meddle. I don't think this was meddling, but do you do yourself any favors by saying that in that setting, or does it matter? No, you you know the answer to that question, John. No, no, it's best to just stay quiet. He can't help himself, and he doesn't have a boss, so he can do whatever he wants. Um, I will add this. You know, he mentioned the Alabama kid, and then Chris kind of chimed in sarcastically, and he looked at the media because he knows how this is going to come off. And he said, hey, we might trade down. Imagine if they trade down and take an offensive lineman. And then, you know, Steichen said something interesting, too. He said, look, that's, that's something Chris and I are going to decide. So he's going to have a huge role. The new head coach is going to have a huge role in this quarterback process, which they've already started and which they'll continue with the pro days and the combine and, and all that stuff. But, but like I said a minute ago, like, Steichen is the second most important decision this team makes this offseason. The most important decision is what they do at four or three or two or one does Houston trade up? Do they feel like they need to trade up? Does Carolina and Frank Reich, do they go get a quarterback ahead of you? That's going to be huge. And so that's the next question this team needs to ask. answer is who's going to be the quarterback moving forward. But, no, I mean, like I would – at this point, just like don't say anything. And I think the Colts are going to put a concerted effort moving forward to not say a damn thing about the quarterbacks until they get to April because that's all we're going to talk about, right? That's the only thing that really matters moving forward. Um, they got to get the quarterback right. They've got to get it right. And you think that it's going to be a veteran offensive coordinator? It won't be a, like Brian Johnson, for example, who was the quarterback's coach. he get elevated in Philly to the OC to take over so Steichen, and maybe Steichen gets a, a veteran type of guy as the OC. What do you think goes down there? Yeah, that's that's more speculation on my part. There's, there's one name that popped in my head was Kevin Petullo, who was here as a receivers yeah. coach a couple of years ago, did a really good job. He's the pass game coordinator in Philly. Obviously, they did wonderful things this year with Jalen Hurts, the elevation with A.J. Brown. Um, but I'm just thinking out loud, like an offensive veteran, like a Pep Hamilton who has a history with Shane Steichen from their time with the Chargers. And, and Pep Hamilton was here. He coached Andrew Luck. He's coached Justin Herbert. He's, he's coached everywhere, it seems like. I, here's my thing, John. If you're going to hire an OC, if you hire a veteran who's not necessarily chasing a head coaching job, then you have a better chance at stability, at keeping him here. If you hire a young guy 
and you ball out with this new quarterback, that guy's going to be gone in two or three years. Look at Nick Sirianni. There's, it's no fault of him that he hired two great coordinators, but he's out two coordinators in one day, two really good coaches and Jonathan Gannon and Shane Steichen. And so that's, that's the gamble you take is if you hire a really good young guy, especially on offense, he's going to get hired, whether he's ready or not to be a head coach. So I would lead the veteran route, maybe a guy who's been a head coach before because they know what it's like. Because coaches and GMs, they always tell me, like, there's so much non-football stuff that gets added to your plate when you move up to that top job. And so that's the thing that Steichen's going to be experiencing the next couple months. I would love to have a guy who's been there before who says, here's what you need to worry about and here's what you don't. So, Zach Keir for the Athletics on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Man, I appreciate you jumping on here, and uh, we'll follow the stories because it should be an interesting offseason, to say the least, considering what this team needs. Yeah, one domino's down, a lot more to go, but thanks, John. Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline, another loss for the Pacers last night at home against the Utah Jazz from setting the pace. Alex Golden joins us. I'm assuming that this is more like it now meaning this is more like what we thought we were going to see at the beginning of the season? Yeah, no, I, I think competitive competitive losses are going to be what you should be expecting moving forward. Uh, I think Kevin Pritchard kind of tipped his hand there a little bit in his press conference saying that they don't want to be competing for the 8th, ninth, or 10th seed. So what other options do you have with the record you have now? It's more than likely – uh, trying to position yourself for the best traffic that you can get. All right. What is um? What is the reason? What is the true reason? And, you know, obviously, things were going good, and then Tyrese Halliburton gets rolled over on, and he missed about a month. Uh, but since he's come back, there hasn't been a great deal of change, and they're losing ways. What's been the biggest reason? Was it the schedule prior where they got some wins? Is it the schedule now that is much tougher? Where do you hard target, pinpoint the reason why there is such a, a robust level of losing, even with the return of Tyrese Halliburton? I mean, I think you can I think you can look at the schedule and maybe point to that. I mean, teams are starting to figure out who they are by this point. Maybe early on they caught some teams by surprise, and, and, and now they're pretty well scouted. They know how to guard the Pacers effectively, so – you know, I think Halliburton's injury obviously kind of just unfortunately took away some of that good vibe that they had in December. And, you know, losing is contagious just like winning is contagious. I think when you go down a stretch of a lot of, you know, tough losses or even some bad losses, you know, you kind of start losing that belief in yourself and your belief as a team that you can go somewhere. So personally for me, I just think when Halliburton came back, yes, it was exciting lost a very close game and there's been some games where they've looked pretty good and, and they've been able to be competitive but not pull out the win. I think X's and O's lines defensively they just gotta get better. Continuing to get beat on the on the glass has been a huge thing and you know their their schedule hasn't been easy. They've been playing teams that are in the playoff hunt on, on both sides of things. So, you know, it's it's just one of those things where the schedule's gotten tougher. Yes, it's part of it, but I think they just lost some of that that good vibe feeling that they had when they're winning all these games. And I just feel like losing is contagious. And I think that's why you've heard Pritchard talk about it. And I even think Carlisle said it. You don't like losing five to seven games in a row because that just really takes down all that positivity that you've had around yourself. So that, that to me is a big thing why I just think little things they could do to, to get themselves back into the winning column, probably in some of these closer games. But, you know, they just 
maybe just aren't as to Tyree said last night, paying enough to the details there. To Alex Golden setting the pace with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Pacers will close it out. Final game before the All-Star weekend is coming up tomorrow against the Chicago Bulls. Uh, oddly enough, one of the teams they've actually beaten here in the, in the past month and a half or so. Um, Ten minutes for George Hill last night. We know George Hill was a part of that draft day last week. I should say the trade day deadline last week uh, when he came over from Milwaukee. Uh, Jordan Nawara was as well. Um, so we know that Nawara played last night. I want to get your thoughts on that. But the ten minutes that George Hill gets, is that as detrimental as many people would suggest to me via Twitter that it was last night in your eyes? I think for a one-game sample size, it's not the end of the world. It is a bit odd to see him getting 10 minutes and Chris Duarte being taken out of the rotation. I think that kind of caught me by surprise when I was watching the game. You know, George Hill did say that he still feels like he has something left in the tank and doesn't want to just ride the bench the rest of his career. So, you know, with knowing that, he also decided he didn't want to be waived either. So, to me, I think Rick Carlisle uh, in the press game or in the post-game press conference, he said. I don't know how many minutes he's going to play, but when he played the 10 minutes that he did, he showed he's still capable. So, really, to me, I thought the first thing I thought was I think they're playing him out there with Nawara because they have chemistry and they've played together in Milwaukee, and maybe that would set up Nawara to get some more comfortability out there on the floor. He did the same thing last year when they acquired Tyrese. They played Buddy and Tristan all together at the same time because he knew that they had chemistry from their days in Sacramento. So, I think. More so, Carlisle was just trying to get Nawara's feet wet a little bit by playing Hill and making it a little bit easier for him. And knowing he's a guy that looks for a shot, and Duarte's kind of a similar guy and looking for his own shot, maybe they thought having another guy that can set up people and be more of a facilitator and, and Hill out there made more sense. So I would assume this is not the long-term plan for, for Carlisle's rotations, but we also know that Rick does have a tendency to play veterans uh, quite a few minutes. Again, Alex Golden setting the pace is with us. All right, so you mentioned Duarte's on ice. Jalen Smith has been on ice for a while. Where are we going directionally with these two guys? That's a great question. I mean, the Jalen Smith thing is just wild to me because you think about it back in June or July, whenever they signed him, I think it was July. You know, they bring out the special Pacers pen for him and you know, Kevin Pritchard's getting all excited. They signed the contract in front of everybody, first time ever doing that, and they went above and beyond and named him the starter uh, on the opening, uh, on the press conference there for his, uh, you know, re-signing with the Pacers, and then all of a sudden, he's not even in the rotation. So I think that Jalen's not playing well, though. I'll be honest with you. Jalen struggled a lot this year, and now he's basically in the same spot he was when he was with Phoenix, but, you know, Phoenix at least had the excuse that they were trying to contend for a championship, so... I get the whole thing with Daniel Tice, you know, veteran guy. He's clearly the second best around this team in terms of the little things that he does and just being poised and that kind of thing. But I think they got to see what they have with Jalen. Maybe put him and Isaiah together. Just kind of get him back out there, see if he's learned something from the benching. He's got to earn his minutes. And with Duarte, he's been in and out of the rotation. Um, there's been a couple of DNP coaches' decisions for him. I, I think they have an idea of who he is, so they don't really need to see him all the time. And maybe that's why they wanted to see what George looked like maybe at this point in his career. But, you know, I think Duarte, there could still be a, a spot for him moving forward. But 
with the draft coming up and with the players they already have at the guard position, I just feel like uh, there's a reason why Duarte was being shot by the trade deadline and around that time. So wouldn't wouldn't surprise me if either of these guys get moved in the offseason, but I don't think the Pacers are in any rush right now. The only reason I can see them being in a rush to do it is if behind closed doors those guys ask to be moved on to a better opportunity for them. But, you know, I think they just got to earn their minutes too, play more consistently, and I think Rick Carlisle will give them that opportunity. But at the same time, uh, like I said, Rick loves playing veterans because I think it just – keeps everything well orchestrated with veterans knowing what to do instead of a lot of mistakes with young guys. But some all-star break after that, I think you might see them get more minutes. Hey, Alex, do you think that they will for the remainder of the year now, you know, given the contract extension and the type of year that he is having, do you think that they will handle Miles and his playing time more delicately? than we have seen. I, I I don't know if last night was an indicator of it, but last night did get me thinking a little bit more. Is he not in a glass case by any stretch of the imagination, but certainly handled a little more carefully as we move forward? Yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised by that. I think, I don't know if Miles would be opposed to maybe taking a night off every once in a while just to rest, um, to not overdo it, because we know that that's been something that's happened to him before. Like you said, just random injuries, little things nagging. Just just play it extra cautious, knowing that the end game is not to probably get into the plan. Even though Pritchard did say that he wants him to be competitive and win every game, I don't think you can come out and say you want to lose, but um, that, that to me is how I read that one. But with Miles Turner, I, I do believe that it's going to be up to Miles, and I, I think they did the same thing last year with Brogdon. You know, Brogdon had a lot of lingering injuries, that kind of thing. He was able to play through some of them, but a lot of times, I think Jay Michael told this uh, told me this on the podcast that Miles and Malcolm were two guys that would not play unless they were 100. percent And to me, that was kind of interesting because you usually don't share that information. And Miles kind of shared it when he was talking to, to Jay a couple years ago, and so he was like, "That's kind of interesting." So I think Miles they'll probably be cautious with him like they were with Brogdon, let him decide if there's you know a game that he's not feeling good if he wants to take it off, but. With so many centers, you have to wonder, Daniel, Daniel Tice will be playing in back-to-backs is what I would assume. So I think Miles' minutes probably go down a little bit, but I also think there's a good chance you see Tice's minutes eventually kind of evaporate towards the last month and a half of the, of the year, a little bit of April, the last part of March, and, and really let Isaiah and Jalen show what they can do with you know not being on such a tight of a leash. You think that they were tight in on any any bigger names at the trade deadline last week? Yeah, I mean, Pritchard came out and said that they made some offers, and Zach Lowe reported on his podcast that he knows the Pacers offered three first-round picks and the Rockets' second-round pick for OG and Anobi. So I do believe that they made calls to be aggressive, and I think the Raptors were more wait-and-see mode, and they were kind of trying to see and gauge the market for what their players could get them. I, I don't really think Toronto is ever in sell mode like people said they were because Masai Ujiri is pretty conservative with what he does. But I think this is a good indication of what could happen in the future, maybe the offseason with them having close to 25 to $35 million of cap space. So that that makes me a little bit, you know, excited for what the Pacers could do just because – they were aggressive and going after at least what we know from Zach Lowe, OG, and Anobi. Are they more attractive, I, I guess, as attractive, you know, normally we say nobody wants to come here except for us. We live here, whatever. But um, yeah. with, with cap space 
and with the direction they're going in the future, do you think that that makes this destination for a player any more attractive than we have seen in recent history? Yeah, I think so. I think Tyrese Halliburton is a very well-liked guy around the league, and one thing that Tyrese has openly said is look to get guys open shots. He tries to get guys going, and if he feels like they haven't been getting shots, to be open with him and tell him and stuff like that. So there's a reason DeAndre Ayton was interested in coming here. It didn't just have to do with the the max contract, even though the Suns matched it within like two seconds. I I think he still had to be okay with the fact that if they don't match this, I'm going to be here in Indiana, and I think he was. So, you know, everything I've heard, it was DeAndre wanted to be here, and I thought that was pretty telling of, you know, a free agent like that, a first round, first overall pick in the draft, wanting to be here. I think you're going to see more people get excited to come play with Tyrese now. That doesn't always mean it's going to be through the free agent market. I think with your cap space, though, JMV, this is where they can be more effective in taking on, uh, you know, a, a lopsided trade. Like we saw them use their cap space in this minor deal, they can use that cap space and try to try to finagle a way to uh, land a bigger talent. And I think that would be smart for them moving forward. I don't know what players they could or, or will be available, but, you know, just having all your picks in your back pocket with salaries to go out and some young players, I think that the Pacers are in decent shape to, to make a run for a player like that. You think they're done shopping miles? That's a great question. Uh, depends on who you ask, <laughs> uh, to be honest with you. I mean, we, we've talked to some people and on our podcast and, They've been pretty adamant that, you know, I think Miles is here to stay, and Kevin Pritchard's been blowing about him, how proud he is of him and stuff like that. So I would be – I don't think Miles gets moved in the offseason, but I do think that the reason the deal was a little bit shorter was because, A, the unique situation they were in, and, B, um, Miles is on contract here, and they wanted to see if this was really who Miles is moving forward. Is Miles going to be this consistent player that he has been – every single night in contract year, or is it just like a, you know, a fluke of a season, so to say, to try to get himself paid? Is he going to get comfortable getting paid? I, I don't really think that's the case with Miles, but I definitely believe that there is a, a good opportunity for Miles here with this team, and I think taking the team-friendly discount was beneficial for him. And I'm I'm expecting them to just keep him until all of next season. If they trade him, I'd be pretty surprised, but nothing would surprise me with the Pacers because – it just made him a more valuable trade asset if they do want to move him. Alice Golden is setting the pace. What you got here new? We had Andrew Nimhart on last week. That uh, podcast is available. If you want audio version, you can listen to it on the podcast app, or you can go watch it on, on YouTube as well. We have that on YouTube with our setting the pace channel there. But other than that, you know, it's been kind of hard to find positive narratives uh, when they've lost 16 of 18 games. So we're just trying to gear up for the all-star break and, you know, get ready for what's ahead for the rest of the year. But I think uh, the all-star break's going to be really fun. We've got a lot of involvement, so we'll be covering that on the podcast as well. Alex Golden setting the pace, talking Pacers on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Appreciate you, brother. Always a pleasure. Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline, normally at 3.30 on a Tuesday. Today at 5.30 on a Tuesday. That is okay. And his request on Saturday night was that re-entry, PM Dawn, I Die Without You. That is for Valentine's Day, and Greg Rakestraw is with us now. Hello, Greg. Hello, sir. You want to hear my Valentine's Day schedule? I do. 
Uh, so I helped produce a show on the ISC Sports Network studios today, our Delphi Bracketology guys. Right. Then the reason I couldn't join you at 3.30 is I was doing the play-by-play of the Indy 11 preseason friendly against Indiana Wesleyan, of which Indy 11 won 5-1. to one. And now I'm on my way to Lawrence North High School for Fisher's and Lawrence North. So not exactly much time for loving on this Valentine's so, Day, despite wow. the fact that I love my job every day. Wow. Indiana Wesleyan and the Indy 11, how big was, how wide was the gap between levels was, of talent? It was significant. Now, to Indiana Wesleyan's credit, Indy 11 made a mistake at the back, and Indiana Wesleyan pounced on it. Uh, but this is the equivalent to, you see this at the very start of of spring training baseball, like the Boston Red Sox play Boston College every year. Yeah, Butler played Indy 11 on Friday and beat them, and beat them 3-1. So, I mean, so it happens. Uh, the Indy 11 have three more preseason matches left. They'll all be against professional sides, kind of, you know, the Chicago Fires two-team, uh, the Chicago Fire Reserves, and then forward Madison, who plays in the league below us in USL League One. But, uh, yeah, it was it was 5-1, and uh, possession was probably somewhere in the neighborhood of uh, 80-20, 85-15 in favor of the Indy 11. All right, so it's not like me trying to guard Laurie Marketing last night with playing for the Pacers, no, right? If they were to sign me to you, a one-game contract. You might have had better success uh, in last night's game, John. Not defensively, I'm going to tell you that. <laughs> not, probably not offensively if we judge by how I played on, on Sunday at Perry Meridian, which was just awful. Greg Rakestraw is with uh, Shane Steichen. What do you think? Maybe some thoughts to, that maybe jumped off the page for you after that introductory press conference earlier today. You know, I'm not going to claim to have great knowledge of Shane Steichen before this whole cycle kind of began um, but what I will say is he is the right type of hire. Uh, he checks all the bo- he checks all the boxes from, from a resume standpoint. Uh, and again, the trend of the game is to go with a young offensive mind. And knowing that he has worked with people from Philip Rivers to Justin Herbert to Jalen Hurts, and that again, the teams that have have signed the young offensive coordinator typically have won more games than the guys that have gone with the defensive guy. To me, not only is it the right type of hire, but it also signifies that the Colts recognize and realize they have to find their next quarterback at four or somewhere in the vicinity of this coming NFL draft. So to me, the hire is just as important for what it symbolizes as a coherent direction going forward for this football team because that's the biggest thing they're in need of to me. He's uh, Greg Rakeshaw on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Jim Irsay, kind of a, a bit of a playful back and forth with Chris Ballard when they were talking about Jalen Hurts. When he was drafted by Philly, they actually traded back to draft him in the second round. And then Jim Irsay countered with, you know, I, I like that kid from Alabama too. We have been discussing a little bit whether or not that was good going into this draft for Jim Irsay to say or if it was completely insignificant and did not matter in the context of things. What do you think? I think it is largely insignificant because I, I know how Jim is. It, Jim will uh, Jim will throw things out there just to kind of get people talking a little bit. Um, and, again, is, is it going to be Jim's pick? Is it going to be Chris Ballard's pick? Um, I, I kind of get the feeling it's, it's again, going to be back to being more of, of, of Chris Ballard's show because this hiring process – 
played out literally the way that Chris Ballard predicted it would when he met with the media the Thursday after the season ended, when he said, hey, this might take until mid-February, and by God, we are at the absolute middle of February, and the coach was announced today, you know, by the Indianapolis Colts. So I I think that's Jim just kind of throwing something out. I'm not sure if uh, that was, you know, exactly tipping the Colts' hand that Bryce Young is going to be the next next quarterback of the Indianapolis Colts. I did say this. When um, Shane Steichen went over all those he was thanking, um, those in his life and certainly those he he has worked with and coached, there are a lot of high-level skill position players in those mentions, and I I hope that the general manager took a lot of those those names in at the same time. Well, again, let's go back to Chris's end-of-season press conference when he says, hey, Maybe it's, you know, I'm paraphrasing here when he basically says, hey, maybe it's time to acknowledge that, you know, things need to be done differently or or you learn from from mistakes. And again, you know, that first pick needs to be a quarterback in my estimation. And does that potentially involve trading up or moving up to get that guy? I think it might uh, just because that kind of how the dominoes fall. So then if you're going to take a quarterback at one, then you're looking at potentially drafting wide receiver. Uh, in a similar position in the second round, which you have done. The other way around that is is to potentially go out and get that guy in free agency. And, again, let's kind of do the, the salary cap slash roster math on the fly. If you think you're going to have your quarterback of the future in the first round of the draft, then that guy's on a rookie deal for five years. What does that allow you to do? Go out and spend more money at other positions, namely at the wide receiver position. So, again, let's see if all the jigsaw pieces fit uh, in terms of if it's going to be a young quarterback, maybe you go out and get a more experienced receiver in terms of free agency. He is Greg Rakestraw on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. So are you doing any of the uh, semi-state games this weekend for the girls? I'm not doing semi-state because I have the wrestling state finals uh, on Saturday night. So if Lanesville would have played somewhere close to Indianapolis – I would have done the morning session and then gone and done wrestling. So instead, I'm going to do the Marion University men's game on Saturday afternoon and then go do the wrestling state finals Saturday night at Gamebridge Fieldhouse. Do you like the way that this is going now with the semi-state? Um, it, all, like the new way, I guess, they're going about doing this. Here is the, here is the, the two biggest advantages to the new format that I see. One, there are 32 communities talking about the semi-state instead of 16, when you have double the number of teams that now get to get into the semi-state round. Two, you have more great gymnasiums and facilities that get used. Um, It's unfortunate that they couldn't host at Greencastle because their team wasn't going to be allowed to, you know, play at home in the semi-state round. Because I love the McAnally Center, uh, and that is a gym that I hope more people have a chance to go check out. I love the fact that the Bill Garrett Gymnasium gets more use at Shelbyville because, simply put, it teaches more people about the importance of whom Bill Garrett was and, and the role that he plays in terms of diversifying Indiana University basketball and historically who that person is. Um, I love the fact that Southport gets more hoop you know, out of this. Uh, so, they're, they're, you know, you get eight semi-state sites and not four. Those are two things that I am a big fan of. So, Southport is Bedford North Lawrence, Center Grove, and Lawrence North and Ben Davis on Saturday? That is correct. And so, frankly, I think those four would have ended up, ended up at Shelbyville. 
But then once Greencastle could not host, Southport was the one that on very short notice said, yep, we'll take it. And then because of the proximity of really all four of those teams, I mean, even even Bedford to Southport is maybe an hour at most at this point because of the uh, rapid pace of the finishing of a construction of I-69. That was a no-brainer to put those teams at Bedford North Lawrence. Yeah, and uh, Jeff Allen is a, a friend of mine. Jeff Allen is from my hometown of, of Owensburg, yeah. the longtime now head coach, very successful head coach of Bedford, Bedford North Lawrence, and as always, they're beyond legit. Yeah, I had a chance to see them in terms of the Hall of Fame Classic, and Spreen and Norman lead the way for that group. They are very much a positionless team. Really nobody above 5'10 that plays. They'll play seven. They'll switch every screen. I think they're the favorite to come out of that group. Ben Davis has significant height uh, in terms of Kristen Carter at 6'4", Taylor Guess at 6'0". Ben Davis could be a problem for them. I just don't know if Ben Davis can score enough points to get past them. Now, Bedford North Lawrence would have to beat Center Grove, and LN's playing well, and BD would have to beat LN for those two teams to see each other. Bedford North Lawrence, to me, is the favor of those four teams at Southport. So what's going to happen is they're going to play at Southport. Somebody's going to cut down the nets, and then nobody's going to put new nets back up, and then we'll have to play Sunday morning in the auxiliary gym. That's what's going to happen. John, um, Brian Murphy and the staff at Southport are so used to hosting events where nets get cut down, I guarantee you that you know ISC is producing that location, producing that location and Frankfurt. For the IHSA Champions Network, I guarantee you almost by the time that we sign off on the broadcast on Saturday night, new nets, in fact, will be in place so you can yell short on all your three-point shots the next day. Auxiliary gym hurts my knees. Bad. Well, then we'll get you on the main gym. Hurts my knees. Rob Brown is is the guy that's on the call of that for us. I'll tell Rob to make sure. Nets are in place before he leaves on Saturday night. No doubt about it. All right, so in closing here, Boilermakers upset on the road at Northwestern on Sunday. IU gets Northwestern coming up tomorrow, tomorrow night at 9 o'clock in Evanston. And then Butler gets that win over Xavier this past Friday. Uh, The good and the bad of the weekend local and college basketball, what would you think? I thought it was more good than bad, and not just not two teams winning and one team losing. Again, Purdue's got some house money to play with. Another loss or two, maybe we're having a slightly different conversation. Um, but, again, I think that's just, again, a, a it's still a young team. Because you're young at guard, it means you're a young team. It's still a young Purdue team that is learning, but it's frankly better to have these hiccups now than to have them in March. And so now is the time you want to learn. For Butler, it was a great moment. They frankly have to, you know, win the Big East tournament to be an NCAA tournament team at this point. They have to get on the run to be an NIT team at this point. Good moment for them, but it's still been a year where they should be better than they are. And as far as Indiana is concerned, that's a matter of keeping it rolling. Um, and, and is there enough time and enough games left for them to catch Purdue? Well, yes, because they play at Purdue one more time coming up next Saturday. But again, you know, the main concern for Indiana is. Be playing well enough to be a factor come NCAA tournament time, and that's exactly what they're doing. It's Greg Rakestraw and the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. Always fantastic, no matter at 3.30 or 5.30. It all works. <laughs> Appreciate you, brother. Back to my back to my regular time next week. And, and of course, since you're kind of play PM Don for me, what is the theme coming up uh, this yeah, week? It'll be, it'll be 80s and 70s. I think they're doing, and I don't know why, I guess because – Valentine's Day is today. They're doing Love Song Weekend. 
And I, I kind of did that with Love Song Request a little bit last week. So, yeah. All right. I'll, I'll, I'll think about love songs that worked for me in junior high. Got it. I'll, I'll <laughs> no, no, we'll go, we'll go 70s, we'll go 70s, 80s, a little bit of 90s for you coming up on Saturday. I'll, I'll sneak it into 1991. Then we're, then we're getting to my heyday. You Thank got it, you, buddy. Sir. Appreciate you. Got it.